0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends. Welcome back to the show. I'm gun shy. Get ready for some awesome. I was gun shy for that very reason. Um, I, I am very honored. I received a lot of great questions for this Mailbag podcast, and I knew that I couldn't do this by myself. So I wanted to bring two of my favorite people in the world on the podcast, my friend Jason Miller, who is a thoughtful, empathetic human being, and if you don't know him, you will be lucky to hear from him. Jay, welcome to the podcast from South Bend, Indiana, and Jonathan Stormont, who is, it says in scripture somewhere that this there is a man without guile, and I want to say that's Jonathan. He is the most honest, genuine person that I know. No matter what room he's in, he is the same person, which is why he says he's an Enneagram 3, but he's wrong about that, but he is right about his character. So Jay and Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. I'm
1: confused. I always brace myself for a, a difficult intro with you.
0: You want a different I one? I know. You want a different one? No, okay, let's really do a different kind. one. Um, we have what I needed for all these questions. We needed both ends of the spectrum. So I needed someone who was a New Age pastor, which is Jay. And so we need someone from the New Age and then someone from the Stone Age. And that's Jonathan. Uh, so the New Age Stone Age. Got them both good. covered.
1: Good. My question. Uh, he,
2: Jay. Do you know uh, Luke accidentally called me when he was trying to call you when he was working on a joke? <laughs> so I, I answered. This was like last week I answered, and he was just giggling to himself <laughs> like a little junior high boy. I, it, I, think, I think it might have been that jokey. Just
0: <laughs> it was. It was definitely the New Age Stone Age thing. That's what I was working on. I wanted on. to ask,
1: uh, last week when you were with Merit, you set up this week, and you said you might have an ordinary friend or you might have a special friend joining you and I want to know between me and Stormit, who's the ordinary friend and who's the special friend.
0: Well, based on your answers at the end of the podcast I'll let okay. you know. We'll see how you guys perform. <laughs> I'll be keeping a running tally. But it's great like we do have people from different uh perspectives. Jay like is a uh you know, super fancy like hey, I'm in Southman which is like it's 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 like hey, we're all intellectual Catholic people and then Jonathan doesn't know what a Catholic person is. So it's cool to have both of you guys together.
2: Where we overlap is Chesterton. Yes. We both like
1: Chesterton. Big fan of Chesterton. That's not mm-hmm. the only place we overlap.
2: Yes, I, actually, when we hung out, uh, I, I've told a couple people, I feel like you and I are the same person in so many ways. Had the same life experience. Mm-hmm. Both both worked at a mega church right out of you know starting and then kind of seeing all the great stuff, that a church that we really love, and and we both have a very challenging friend. That's
0: right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, a common project and trying to help our friend Luke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe maybe you should get out your banjo, Jonathan, and Jay, you could play some keys and you guys could come up with something. You're both musicians, is what I'm trying to say. It's because you're looking, looking, mm, yeah. you're looking
1: for some new bumper music for the podcast.
0: Yeah, I could get you guys to make it for me.
2: <laughs> I, we could set do, something do. to like the tune of Rocky Top. I mean, mm. I don't know. If, I don't know if you would do. I don't know what that is. Uh, Once I had a girl on Rocky Top, half bear, the other half cat. You don't know that song? I
0: but keep, I, keep going. I, I don't. I, I don't think anyone wants to know that song after <laughs> your rendition of it.
2: <laughs> oh, going. shut up! Wild as a mink, but sweet as soda pop. I still I'm, dream about like, that turning my volume down right now it's a lot better to uh okay forget it so here's the thing
0: jay's actually made money as a musician before uh in another life he actually was a musician in chicago or at least when he had a relative who was trying to impress someone uh they said that about him (laughs) (laughs) because they were too embarrassed to say he was a pastor so he's a musician um but of the two of you only one of you have called literally to sing me a song and that would be you jonathan
2: That's right.
0: He really did. It was very meaningful. He called to sing me a song during a tough, tough Mm -hmm. moment. And I never had anyone else do that. So, yeah. Thank you.
2: Yeah. And and as you could just tell from my voice, that's probably what I should do if this ministry thing doesn't work out. I was going to say. No,
0: I I, I, honestly, I feel like maybe you could do both. I mean, maybe just transition to worship pastor.
2: Like Graves? Like how Graves (laughs) just breaks into singing in his sermons?
0: Uh, that is that is a very alpha move. Like, hey, I I know you want me to talk, but I I can talk and sing. Uh, who's to say what I can do? I can I do. not think
1: most people experience that as an alpha move. I think, I think they experience it differently. Uh, yeah, than that. That's right. I don't mean to call <laughs> out Graves, but yeah. Do you know Graves, Chase? Uh We met once. We hung in Nashville when Luke was there preaching uh, the, the like book tour. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Great
0: yeah. man. Yeah. We had I forget you
2: have like. You you have like Church of Christ background, right?
0: Oh, goodness. I do. do
1: I do. Again. my My first job he was at the Church not... of Christ. I did an internship at He's... the church I grew up at, which was the Church of Christ, before I went to uh, the big church.
2: Mm. Yeah, dude, this is what I mean. Like you, you just fit so naturally in our group of friends.
0: Okay, all right, let's 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 tone this down here, guys. Um. All right, I've got a bunch of questions, so we got to get through them. Uh, we're going to do the first one. Uh, this comes from a friend of mine named Ryan. Uh, Ryan, who said, hey, Luke, I listened to your latest podcast with Jonathan Merritt this evening and really enjoyed it. Uh, so I, I don't know why I read that. <laughs> <laughs> Since you're taking requests for questions, here's one. I should just just it right there. Uh, what's something you once firmly believed that you've changed your mind about? For example, literal hell, how to read the Bible, women's role, etc. Uh, gr- great question. I think a lot of people have gone through some form of transformation. So um, Jonathan, I'm going to let you go first. What's something that you used to believe that you held firmly that has since changed?
2: Um, I, I think this might be a great strength and a great weakness. I change my mind often on things that uh, I've held with pretty strong conviction. I mean, one of the biggest ones for me was Holy Spirit, um, realizing, you know, secular age, buffered self, all that stuff. But, uh, just seeing a blind woman get healed, that was a really disorienting season. And it was disorienting like for a year and a half, I was, uh, in a funk and, and struggling to understand a God. I thought I, had a handle on. Um, so that would be the one that stands out the most to me, but uh, about five years ago, you and I've had this talk a lot, uh, the, the, the like myth of progress. And I don't mean progressive Christianity. I mean, although there is overlap there, I, I mean, the, the kind of narrative that we tell that we don't recognize as a narrative. I, so Chesterton was the everlasting man. You and I have talked about that, Jay, just the kind of, uh, that was a big, it wasn't so much changing my mind as it was changing my assumptions behind, you know, the, the very next idea is not always the best, the tradition needs to have a word, um, those kind of things. And that was a pretty pivotal change as well.
0: Yeah, that's. Good. I think your observation that that changing period was very disorienting. I think that's a great observation because anyone who's gone through a major change in belief understands that disorientation uh, is a very real thing. And when you get rid of something you held too tightly, it, it does feel like the ground beneath you is shifting. So, uh, Jay, do you got anything?
1: Uh, yeah, lately I'd say, like last five years, a uh, big change for me has been that before that I would have said the church definitely should not be political. And um, I can't say that anymore. To to be clear, I don't mean that we should be partisan. I don't mean that we should be telling people who to vote for. I don't think we should be aligning with like a a political party or power. But I think um, I've come to understand that that position of like let's not wade into anything ever is really a privileged place. And it's easy to think that that's a good thing when you don't need the status quo to change for your own. Um, equality in the world, but like just the last five years, um, getting a new church going and also like being in a city that's forty percent non-white, South Bend's a a fairly poor city economically. like the average household income in South Bend's thirty thousand a year for a whole house and um, learning to see the world through the experience of the members of my church, uh, whether it's because they're black and I'm white or because they don't enjoy the same financial benefits I enjoy or the same privileges. Uh, I just, I've I've come now to think that um, uh, that to be faithful and to tell the truth means that you're going to sometimes have to say some things that are perceived to be political. And Hmm. uh, that's not a sign that you're doing something wrong.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's good. I think my answer to the question is, um, I think my earliest kind of assumptions towards theology or faith is that God is something to be understood and to be grasped, and the older I get, I have kind of transitioned more to God being something that is to be experienced, and my quest to kind of understand who God is and try to have like everything figured out is something that's no longer really part of my um it's it's no longer part of my process like i'm I'm not trying to you know get rid of any um like inconsistencies I'm no longer trying to get rid of um like unanswerable questions, now it's, you know, God is something to be experienced, God is a beauty to be, uh, you know, beholden to, like, and to be changed by, As less about God is something to be understood. So I I think that's probably the biggest uh, change, is just maybe my uh, ontological approach to uh, theology. Don't make fun of me for that question. Yeah, Yeah, he does
2: all the time, Jay. Jay, all the time. I I think he looks up a dictionary word before the podcast, (laughs) just to steer it towards... I took umbrage (laughs) at his ontological approach.
1: Yeah. Luke, was that a gradual change for you or was that, uh, did something trigger that change for you?
0: Uh, I think it's probably gradual. I I think, and this is, um, I think something that I try to like write about, about like the early part of like the podcast, uh, I try to put in a book, Mm -hmm. like the idea of that, like God just wasn't living up to it. And so I wouldn't like want to say like, there's one singular moment, and to make this very punctilious, but what I would like to say is that it was more like progressive, like it was something that like just kind of was there for a while. It was like a rock in my shoe that became more and more painful over time. But I don't remember when the rock got in, yeah. per se. I like I remember moments in which it, like I felt very tangible, but it was just a gradual thing, yeah. and it, mm-hmm. like that the, the the pain and the problem appeared, and then also that it kind of diminished.
2: You know. About that, because I, I think that's that's got to be every healthy. No, maybe that's too much. But most most people's path to health in the Christian faith is going to involve something like what you just said, because you know Charles Taylor's big thing in a secular age is that the we were we replaced faith in these uh, unprovable things with faith in other unprovable things, and one of those is the modern myth of the human cognitive abilities like that. We are able to understand the vast mysteries of the universe and of God, a God who created it. And I do think in like ministry training, I mean like grad school students are so unbearable in so many ways. (laughs) And I say this as someone who was in grad school for 10 years, uh, excuse me, man of the decade, the, the thing that you're learning so much about the positive attributes of God and like theology, and you're becoming like the answer person you feel like, Mm -hmm. but then you start having life experiences or there's these holes or gaps. And yeah, I I mean, I think that's a a really healthy trajectory. Yeah. Okay. One
0: of the questions that we're going to get to, we'll just jump to it right now. What did you wish you knew coming out of seminary or like, what would you tell a, a young pastor? Would your response be something connected to that, Jonathan?
2: Um, Maybe. I think humility is a huge thing. I think I would tell any young disciple, like always choose joy over status, think less of yourself, um, cultivate gratitude. You know, those kind of disciplines that would make you smaller, not your ego bigger. But um I guess for seminary, if you're talking about church training, it would be you know, try to cultivate a spirit of goodness in communities. Healthy things grow. Don't focus on growth, focus on health, you know, those kind of things that I, I feel like you're gonna learn a lot of Greek, you're gonna learn a lot of, you know, hopefully spiritual formation and disciplines, but when it comes to if you 're leading a, a faith community at all, then focus on the goodness of of God and, and cultivating yeah. goodness in your congregation,
0: yeah, I think my answer would be something about like don 't take yourself so seriously don't hmm. don't take yourself as though like it 's your job to fix everything um, like and this is kind of the, the same trajectory as yourself about humility and you know, developing character. I mean, the work is important, but you're not that important. And right. each sermon really, really matters a whole lot. But what you say doesn't really matter a whole lot. And mm-hmm. uh, somehow you have to hold those things together. Jay, what would you say your answer?
1: Uh, I think I'd echo all that. And then I'd, I was just thinking about how like any given day in ministry, most of what I'm drawing on is not what I got from grad school. Even though I think I think education is really important. I think if you're going to be preaching and leading the church, you should know some theology. But like I think most of what I draw yeah. on in my day to day ministry is um, like the hardest parts of my life that I that I walk through, and like being reconciled to those painful chapters, uh, so I can be like a whole person and not just running from that stuff. Um. Also, just like uh, people intelligence, I think that like at least in i mean i did like undergrad and grad in like ministry bible whatever and like found very little like actual education around like like how to lead people how to understand people like how to think about just the way people work and i think uh we're lucky if we get that elsewhere and then bring it into our ministry
0: mm. yeah that's a good that's point. Right. yeah that's a good where i also think it's a it's a good observation that often what we get what we have to give to others is not some idea we learned in a class as much as it's something that we've experienced in our own journey. I I think the best, like when I think of like the, like the real opportunities in which I get to be a friend to someone, uh, the stuff that comes out of my mouth is not like an idea I, I read, but it's a lived experience that I'm going through. I'm talking about, these are things that are being transformative for me. These are helping me. And that's, you know, unfortunately, uh, You know, for our seminaries, like that's, that's the stuff that really means the most to most, uh, most of us as we're going through struggles to hearing someone's lived experience. Yeah.
1: I I I almost think of it like, um, again, I think, I think if you're preaching and teaching, you should know some stuff, but like, I think it's, um, what's the phrase it's necessary, but not sufficient. So like, yeah, yeah, you you should know some stuff. You should know how to like, uh, read the Bible, um, through like a well-informed lens. I think like a good education is going to keep you inside the guardrails of some good interpretation and some good theology. But it's just, it's so insufficient, I think. And necessary, but insufficient.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, any yeah. seminary that's interested in sponsoring the podcast again, please just give <laughs> me an uh, email, luke at lukenorsworthy.com, and we can send some great endorsements your way. Okay, let's go to the next question. This is from someone named Trisha Joe. Um, as a pastor, uh, and, and I got two questions that are kind of the same ballpark, talking COVID stuff. Uh, first one. Trista Joe, as a pastor, have you felt pressure with the rise of consuming, in quotations, church culture, especially due to the accessibility with COVID? Specifically, how can pastors and churches work to keep pushing against <clears throat> this and do the work of the church rather than just giving a product? Mm. You guys got anything on that?
1: I'll jump in a little bit. Um, Ken okay. Yeah, because the last year has been weird, right, where like— religious content online like christian content online has just exploded right and, and like there's really beautiful stuff being made and put out there in the world and uh um i i watched that and i think that's that's not all bad i mean i think it's good that like wonderful content's being made like art and preaching is being like distributed through the internet that's wonderful but uh at least in south Bend, we've been thinking that now is the time to double down on the things that only happen and can only happen when we're together, which actually means that like we're actually decentering the sermon even more. Like our first eight weeks back together uh, for like regular weekly worship, I think only half of those weeks had sermons. The other half, like the the bulk of the gathering, was a communal practice, like a lectio divina, or a um, one week we did like an open floor for like half hour. We worked through different categories of experience from the last fourteen months, and then we wrote our own communal psalm. Um, or we did like an embodied prayer day where like we led people through that. And I guess what I'm getting at is I think if people are trying to figure out like how to push back against that, I would say, well, part of it is like, if what you're doing in the room and you're together is the kind of thing that works just as well when we're not together, like it does yep. Like like yeah. the church is really just a studio audience for content. And I think like if you're mm-hmm. wondering why, um, people are feeling like they don't need to come back, I, it might one thing we might want to look at is like, well, why would, why would they, if they're going to come and kind of sit passively mm-hmm. and kind of sing along to some music and then listen to a sermon, uh, maybe that's part of the problem.
2: Yeah. Mm. That's so good. Right. Yeah. I think, um, we, we did, I think churches around the world responded responsibly. Um, and, but the side effect was we spent, you know, six to 12 months, training people to sit on a couch yeah. and just passively receive. And, um, you know, we were, we, we were the church is in a building and, but the people are at the building, like, and wherever, wherever the people are. And I do think, you know, obviously this is, this is a huge thing in America and COVID just accelerated a lot of stuff. But, but, I heard somebody say, I can't remember who it is, that this this last election cycle and COVID has served as an apocalypse, Hmm. that it is unveiling some stuff. You know, if, if Jesus is a centered set, not a bounded set, then I think this has accelerated people who have been walking away from discipleship to Jesus for a while. Um, And then also people who are just starting because I don't know if y'all's churches are like this, but we've had new people come and long term people stop coming. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know, you know what what to make of all this, but it it does feel like if consumer is like I liked your term, the church is not a studio audience. If churches are set up for not really deep community and discipleship practices and asking people more than just to you know, park their butts in a pew, give and and listen, then I I think that model of church is is up for some challenges.
0: Yeah. One of the things I, I think I got this uh from my friend uh Chris Seaman, that he made the observation that churches that lean more in like the charismatic space were quicker to, mm-hmm. to return to like in-person worshiping in terms of like the, the congregants, whereas those uh, who had kind of a lower view of like uh, mystical, you know, divine experiences in church, they could sit at home because it, it was, like you said, consuming content. And I think our perspective on what happens in a service is really telling, and it's being projected in like uh, how we've responded. Now, I think part of the reason the Charismatic Church also came back is because their politics probably lean pretty right, and people who are more right-leaning had a different view on COVID than people left-leaning, it it so did. let's let us associate— Maybe, maybe. Um, maybe. Uh, but never thought, I, I think when, when you think of church as consuming content, instead of this is an experience in which I'm actually in the presence of God, and more than that, like that this is like a, a keystone habit that trains me to see God in this moment so that I can see God in all moments— then mm-hmm. yeah, you can sit at home and watch. But if you understand like this is a formational part of your life, like you need this, this habit, this practice to help you see God right now in this moment, when two or three are gathered in his name, then, uh, you can see God elsewhere. Then, then yeah, you'll show up. But I think if it's just, Hey, we need to listen to sermon. And in the church of Christ, you know, take communion, then you can functionally do some of that stuff at home. But, um, okay. So here's the second part of that question. Uh, this is from Carl. What's the most constructive change for church wrought brought by the pandemic? What's the biggest change? I've thought about this one for a day, and I'm struggling with an answer. Because I mean, this might be something that we, you know, we're not going to know maybe until a year or two from now, or five years from now. But I, honestly, I'm I'm struggling because right now, like what I'm seeing is the move to you know, church is just something that you consume as another form of content instead of something you experience
1: yeah i think of it as like a bit of a winnowing like um Mm -hmm. and i I don't i don't what i'm about to say i don't mean it like with a hard edge or like some kind of um judgment but it's like hey if if uh you were coming to church every week just because it was a thing you do on sundays and then covid gave you 14 months to find out that like your life doesn't feel that different and you you don't feel that obligated to come back um I think it might not be a bad thing if the mm-hmm. people who constitute our our churches are are there because they took fourteen months to reevaluate and they 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 said yes again. I I think that can be a good thing. That's not really like a structural change or whatever, but uh, that's one thing I'm thinking about right now, which might just be my way of trying to console myself because I'm wondering who else, who else <laughs> is going to come back and whether we're going to have the same crowd. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I like that, Jay. I actually think that's. Uh... A fair read on that um the you know i i think i did see a lot of churches start doing some becoming more externally focused uh you know it's a it's a crisis it's a global crisis how can we help our our city and our neighbors and i, I think the great sin of churches in the west is that uh, they they are sinful in the in the terms of Martin Luther they curve in on themselves hmm. and I, I did see a lot of people actively trying to help and I also I I don't know if this was true in other places but I think it was you know at first with the when the COVID nineteen thing started spreading around, we knew that people 65 and older were most likely to die. And we saw in our church a whole young generation step up to say, we'll get you groceries, we'll get your medicine, stay home, stay healthy. And, um, you know, I do think one of the great sins of Western society is neglecting Senior Saints are just senior citizens and maybe something out of that can be sustained past this. Just yeah,
0: that's good. Yeah.
2: I know every person who's sixty five or over at my church has now my cell phone number wow. and I get <laughs> I get some texts and stuff from them pretty regularly, which is great. I love it.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll stop before you make jokes about old people texting. Um, cause like, I don't, I don't make that kind of joke and I don't want you to do that. You either.
2: wouldn't, you wouldn't.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. Here's Wait, one. Luke, you don't have an answer for that. You said you
1: thought about it for a day.
0: Yeah. I, I, I told you, I thought about it for a day and like as a seven, like it's my job to, you know, like be optimistic and make things positive and all that. Um, I don't know. Like, I I, obviously, I think we're going to find some, but I I feel like for me, it's like a little bit too early to say. Yeah, this is exactly what's changed. I got
1: really frustrated in the middle of COVID with people. Like, it's one thing to say, "Hey, things are definitely changing," but people get really um, would get really confident that they knew what changes were going to be. Like,
2: I'm, I'm like, yeah, I think we can all
1: agree that things are changing, but it might be, it might be five years before we look back and can recognize the real systemic changes that like got fixed. Mm -hmm like put in place in light of all this stuff
0: yeah exactly and that's kind of what i was saying uh I, I just don't don't think we know and it's like someone saying you know this is what percentage of people are going to come back afterwards you're know, like well like i think it's helpful to have like these guesstimates that we're all working with but we we, we don't know and anyway so yeah. maybe yeah. anyway uh, so my reticence is an ontological issue, not a uh, lack I of. I don't think that word means what you think it Next. means. I don't think that. I, I don't think we have the ability to know. And that so that sounds epistemological to me, not ontological. Okay. Yeah. As I said that, I realized <laughs> the same thing. Oh, never mind.
2: Yay. I love having someone on here like you. This is great.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's that's Notre, Notre
2: Dame, baby. That's, that's Notre, Notre Dame.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's an MA. Both of you guys don't have MDivs, so. <laughs> Take that. It sounds um, like my MA anyway, anyway, did okay. more
1: for me than your MDiv
0: did for you. <laughs> yeah. Ontologically, <laughs> no. I think he's right. Luke. <laughs> oh,
2: man.
0: <laughs> you know what? Uh, I, hmm, I can leave the John Eldridge episode and I can leave that in because I'm that mature of a person. <laughs> and that's a great example of that. Okay. Uh, speaking of failing to use a word correctly, let's talk about failures. Um, I'm not going to put this person's name in, just I'm not sure what, what they want to include here. Um, how does one continue to live into God's call to ministry when they feel like they failed? And uh, this specifically is referring to a uh, you know, ministry career that was uh, cut short after a bad first job and uh, you know, wounds and hurts from that experience. Mm-hmm. So uh, um, like I, I feel like I have a little experience with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think what happens in failure is that we start to Storm it reference the like curving in effect of sin. I, I think something that happens in failure is that everything starts to curve in on us and we think that our failure is the biggest thing that's ever happened. And so we project yeah. like my feelings about my personal failure on everyone else. And so I think everyone else is thinking about my failure because I'm obviously thinking about it all the time because it's, you know, front and center for me. And what, what, what ends up happening sometimes with, with failure is that it grows and becomes enormous because it's big to me. And I start to think it's everywhere around me when, uh, like I remember, so, so this happened to me after my first job things ended, uh, unceremoniously there. And, uh, I remember going to the gym, uh, Gold's Gym in Panama City, Florida where I uh, used to live and uh, I had uh, these two guys who were lawyers who went to Florida State both named Tom both divorced both drove a black uh, Toyota Tundra just in case you want to know if there's any commonality between the two of them and uh one of these guys one of these Toms like I was talking with him he was the group of guys that we worked with and they were probably 10 15 years older than me and uh he just he said hey I, like I wasn't want like I was being very coy about it. like I didn't want to talk about it. I was embarrassed about it, and he said, "Yeah, I kind of sense something's going on, but hey, here's the thing like i I got fired from my first law firm, and mm. uh it was the best thing for me like it it changed me, and I, you hear a lot of people say that like it was the best thing for me, and so you know maybe that doesn't always help you in the moment, but what does help you in the moment is to go most people go, yeah, I mean life's hard like things don't work out and specifically jobs don't work out. And when it happens in a church, like it's more painful obviously because there's Mm -hmm. supposed to be like this sort of like relational connection to people that's not at your law firm or not at the, you know, uh, you know, the restaurant you work at or wherever. But one of the things that you learn about life, the older you are, is that things sometimes just don't go the way you want them to. And I I think what the, like the adversary wants to do is for the, the feeling of your fail failure to like grow onto every area of you instead of saying hey that was just a bad day like that was a bad two years or that was a bad first job instead it becomes i am a bad person right mm-hmm. instead of saying like my job failed or i failed at work it becomes i am a failure and there's a big difference because it's it's defining your identity or defining how you performed at a task and i think we we got to separate those two otherwise it's just in- impossible to move past like your identity being a failure instead of saying hey sometimes you shoot and you miss. Like, that's just part of life.
1: That's really good, man. I agree. I was thinking, um, yeah, yeah uh, shame uses what's happened to you to name you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It says this is who you are now. Yeah. I, um, I'll echo, too, like, I, when I felt called to start south City Church, one of the reasons I was gun-shy was I, um, back at the big church that I worked at at Granger— there was a season where they gave me a chance to like launch a new college age ministry. We we hadn't had like a young adult ministry. And so we launched it. And, uh, um, the first night of the first year was the largest crowd we ever had. And then for three years, I just killed it slowly. And so like, you know, they put all this horsepower into kind of like getting it going with me. And then we went from like 300 people on the first night of the first year to like 12 people on the last night of the last year. And then we just had to put it to bed. And I was really insecure about that too. Um, but I was going to say too. I think um, I think people actually trust a leader with a limp, and so mm-hmm. um, just sort of like unchallenged confidence might seem like it makes a good leader. But I think, especially for the kind of work we're doing, um, mm-hmm. I think it's those failure points that can get transformed into like some of the best assets that you bring with you. If if you're able to kind of do agree. the work, yeah, yeah.
2: Can you imagine Luke without that? I was I was going to say
1: Luke. I don't, I don't think we'd be friends if that hadn't been part of your experience because I don't know if I'd like you.
2: <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I, you but, know, Luke and I became friends right after that, yeah. and I remember. You know, you you were working through some of that stuff, but you seemed to do that pretty healthily, and uh, you and Lindsay both. I mean. I know I know people who have been burned by churches, and they just can't shake it and so part of it is, I think your advice is good luke i I think what Jay is saying is spot on with failure and and we could spend a dozen podcasts talking about our own ministry failures. Some of them are more public than others, but failure opens up doors for opportunity to minister. That you wouldn't have otherwise, and so I mean it's worked into the Christian story. Like Peter's the first guy, and yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah, he's you know the first big failure is the yeah is the person who becomes the first big pillar of the church. Yeah, Yeah. that's there's something there. I I think you are right, and part of the way that I respond to as a seven, like that's not like you know so what that's that's part of life. so it's, I think it's going to be easier for for me. And so I think that's the, one of the helpful things about the Enneagram is to go, you're going to deal with this different. If, if you're a different number, if you're seven, I think this is something that you're equipped to, like I, putting a, like a podcast up in which someone hangs up on me like that. Yeah. Yeah. So what, But like, that's just, that, that's part of being a seven. Like if I was a three, like that would like devastate me, I assume, or, you know, I, I don't know how they would process it, but give yourself space to be a human being and whatever that looks like for you and give yourself space, but also know that, uh, yeah, there's redemption out there. Okay. Um, you guys want to do another one? Yeah. Okay. Um, to Jonathan, Mexican food in Texas or barbecue in Arkansas? Uh,
2: definitely Tex-Mex. Um, or barbecue in Texas.
0: I would have eldred you if you would (laughs) have not said Mexican food in Texas.
2: Arkansas doesn't really have a barbecue identity. You know, we're like Memphis and Missouri and Texas are all so.
0: Arkansas is known for the meat and three, right? Isn't that what you guys said? Uh,
2: the Southeast is. Jay, okay, do you know what a meat oh, and three I do, restaurant no, I do. is?
0: No, yeah. Stop. We're not going to waste any more time on that. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, here's one for you, Jay. Can, this is from Chef Becky. We're saying kind of culinary theme questions. Uh, Can you orchestrate a reunion show with Jason Miller, AFD, Annie, F Downs, Aaron Nequist, and Jonathan Merritt? It was such a fun episode. It would be fun to have them back together again. That's to you, Jay. Uh,
1: Well, I might have wanted to, but when you called it Jason Palooza, you gave me trauma, and I've never wanted to return to that setup because I don't want to give you another chance to call something Jason Palooza. (laughs)
0: <laughs> do, do you think that I will run out of other names to come up with? Do, do you feel like the, the muse has stopped showing no, my up? Fear, no, like my, fear <laughs> the, the my fear is that the spirit still flows. That's my fear. That it's.
1: I don't want to give you another chance to do something.
0: Okay. Well, um, hey, we can call this the J-bag if you want gosh. instead of the mailbag. Please don't. Okay, hey, next no, question. Side note, Luke. Uh, since we're talking about other podcasts, you, Storm said it. You should do a
1: whole series like – Seriously, talking with your friends about like their worst ministry failure.
0: Oh, I think that would be yeah. really interesting. Huh. The month of failures. Yeah. Next February. Yeah. Fail February. There Could you go. Be a Lent thing. I don't know. Okay. Mm. There you go. Uh, okay, this is Chef Becky. She also has a second part of the question. Okay. Have you ever seen any research related to Enneagram and birth order? I feel like I've talked to Suzanne about this. I think some people obviously would say Enneagram ones are often oldest childs, uh, children, yeah. childs. Um, I'm great with yeah. words. Um, but I don't, I think Suzanne would kind of kick this question kind of down the curb and go, probably not so much. Uh, I feel like that's what she said. I feel like I've asked her this before. Uh, Storm, you don't even know your number, so I'm not going to ask you, Jay, you're ambivalent. I, I don't no so idea. Okay. That's it. Um, okay. Here's one. You guys all do the Lord's Prayer. Like, I think this is all going to be for all of us. Okay, um, I'd like to hear—this is from uh, Diana. I'd like to hear how, slash, if praying to God our Father makes you uh, a better one. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Jay, you don't have kids, so maybe that kind of excludes you, my bad. Oh, it makes you Um, a better father. Okay. Yeah. I mean, just pretend like you're a father. Uh, Stormont,
2: what do you think? Sure, sure. Uh, you know, the Lord's Prayer... So or even just like the, the Our Lord,
0: Father, just praying to God as Father. Do you think that impacts you?
2: Yeah. Um, I, I think when you, when you have kids, it changes the way you think of your relationship to God and read, read those passages of God as parent Um and that translates over into our our father, you know, and that's kind of Jesus' point, right? Like if you being evil have would give good things to your kids, then how much more so that like the nature of parenting, it's Andy Crouch. Andy Crouch is strong and weak where he talks about power, um, uh, how like people are also when he came to Highland, he said that. When he would tell people he was writing a book on power, people were all uh everybody said, you know, absolute power corrupts. And he said he got it so much he almost started just saying, and also with you, because it was just (laughs) so common. But he said everybody who's a parent has had an experience where they had total power over another human being and they most people don't abuse that because um there's there's something about power transformed by love that changes the way that you deal with it wow. and interact yeah. with it.
0: Yeah, I think to understand God's love as heavenly parent uh, has become more real when, uh, like, I know how much I love my kids. And mm-hmm. the idea of, like, oh, God wouldn't forgive you for something or, you know, God's not going to be mm-hmm. there. Uh, I, I'm not a perfect parent, but I know how I feel about my kids, and that is very reassuring for how God feels um, about us. So uh, in terms of like how I've been a parent, I think it gives me grace. Like, you know, God knows how imperfect we are, but uh, let's just be parents anyway. There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot. I, I love the the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's uh, I, you know, I prayed it last night with... Um, one of my kids, the other two, <laughs> who knows? I'm just being honest. just uh, one out yeah, of three. But... So that's a good batting average. If one out of three, you know, make it to heaven, that's pretty good. I mean, that's probably higher than Jay's parishioners. Um, <laughs> speaking of Jay, um, uh, thoughts on, this is specifically to you. Uh, someone actually, Diana specifically referred to you as her favorite author, um, which as someone who's read some of your stuff, like I see that, like you've got good writing um, that maybe one day the world will know. Um, she said, what? Why do you laugh? Like that no, that's just... kind. Thanks. thanks. Anyway. Uh, yeah, that's me. I'm kind. I I'm i still morning. calibrating. Not with We're all still my kids. Calibrating to
1: this more genteel <laughs> Luke. It's just a different thing.
0: Keep going. Sorry. Keep going. Jay, you suck. You're stupid. <laughs> You're dumb. Is that now better? I much, now I, answer the I question. I feel much
1: safer now. Thank you.
0: There he is.
2: There's our Luke. <laughs>
0: uh here's, here's a question thoughts on, you kept interrupting me that's why you don't have the question um <laughs> thoughts on being people who have time and forgetfulness i think this is a reference to uh Hauerwas, maybe
1: oh goodness do you get that yeah i do um
0: explain who have time and forgetfulness. give us some context yeah
1: so uh i think Diana knows that. I was, I was down with Wass last week in, in North Carolina. Uh, Stanley Wass theologian. Mm-hmm. And we were working through his commentary on Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, one of his big threads... I'm is,
2: reading that right now.
1: Oh, excellent. We should talk uh, more about it.
2: That's so cool. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, yes. It, it was incredible, man. But one of his big threads, right, is that, like, uh, that time has to be sort of understood differently if you're going to appropriate what Jesus is doing uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And um, it had a lot to do with like patience and power, and the idea that um, th- that like sort of in God's time in the kingdom, you you don't have the urgencies that you feel um, to push the world in a certain direction that you mm-hmm. would feel without the, a knowledge of God's kingdom. Uh, we actually I actually kind of pushed him on that because um, I had one chance to talk to him, so I'm going to like ask the question because my con- my concern was that. Um, That 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 idea that like there's all this patience in God's kingdom for things to change and for the kingdom to grow, that 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 could get used in a a really um, unfortunate way to just justify Mm -hmm. um, just embracing the status quo. And this kind of comes back to what we talked earlier Mm -hmm. about like politics and privilege. And uh, I'm still working on it. I'm still thinking through it. Uh, His whole thing, right, is that like he says Christians shouldn't try to change the world. They're merely called to give witness to the world that God has changed. That um, that's right. That we're supposed to just live, not just, but to live in a radical, faithful discipleship to Christ in a church, and that the, the life of the church becomes its own politic. And that's different than kind of going out into the world and trying to push against the world and change things out there, right? It's just that mm-hmm. we, whatever our circle of fellow believers is, we're going to live as faithfully as possible as disciples, and that that is what... Like that's the faithful calling in the world. And I'm, I'm still really wrestling with that, to be honest.
2: Hmm. Okay. So I love this. I love this. This is the conversation. And I thought of it when you were talking about the church being more political. I think it is the church. What I hear is, cause you said nonpartisan and I, I'm a, i am I agree, but I think the church is a politic and, Uh, it's a model home for the world, and you have to be really careful Use fighting darkness with forces of darkness. Um, Have you ever heard of the book The Patient Fervent of the Early Church?
1: Yeah, I have have it on a list for some reason. Maybe you told me about it before. Maybe that's why I have that on my...
2: It's just like thinking generationally. If we're we're faithful disciples of Jesus, the best fruit of our lives will not be seen in our lives. Um, It will be... You know the kind of David Fitch faithful presence. uh, The because and like here's here's the danger of trying to change the world. The religious people are never in more danger of doing evil than when they're trying to do good. Like it was the very best of us who killed God, and we were the. You know, I, I don't know if y'all have had these experiences, but I'll look back on my well-intentioned early ministry years, and I did a lot of harm to people mm. for really good causes. Um, and I just realized, like, there, I had I had a good intentions, but the road to hell is paved with them, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and there's, and there's so a certain the, there's a certain conceit in thinking that. W- we can handle power with greater fidelity than the people who have abused it. That somehow we we're going to be right. better off with this temptation than other people have been. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, John. Yeah. I didn't to cut your but I, I do
2: get. I mean, in Little Rock, in Little Rock, you know, like um, Central High School, decades ago, they they were uh, arguing for gradualism. That that was actually a term. We don't want to integrate. We don't. You know. We want to gradually do it, which Dr. King's uh, thing about white moderates yeah, yeah. And, and justice none, delayed is justice none. So I get that tension, Jay. I really do. Um, but I, I feel like there is in the name of uh, like the civil rights movement needed to happen. It needed federal force. It needed to – and there's st- still more stuff that, that needs to be done. But um, I think I've said on this podcast before, in Obama's last days of office, he turned to his chief of staff and said, did we push too hard, too fast? And I think the answer he would say is yes, because, uh, you know, like. I was arguing about incrementalism and, and women and feminism the other day, um, just because what happens is – well, this, is, this this conversation needs to have context. But if my, – my argument was in order to do the most good, it seems to me like you have to bring uneducated people along to help them see uh, – instead of just running ahead with your ideals, then – because what happens is those people get left behind and get discipled by Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm you know what i mean um that's that's kind of that's a longer conversation and probably a horrible soundbite but i do think patience and humility go a long way with making that change that we actually want to happen
0: mm-hmm. yeah I, yeah it,
1: it it's... i was i was going to say i um it seems to me that one of the things that contributed to the death of jesus was that he was unwilling to be the kind of radical that some people wanted. I don't I don't think that's I mean that's one of the threads I think that's woven into that moment, right? One of the forces that created the possibility of his crucifixion was that some people got disillusioned by um what might be called his patience,
0: I guess. Hmm. Mm.
2: That's
0: a good word. That's a good word. That
2: is
0: well, speaking of patience, I am out of it. Um we're done. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got a I've got a dinner with my family.
2: Nice. Um, Where are you going? So, which one? Uh, which kid? Just one at a time. Yeah, just.
0: <laughs> no, it's actually my niece. My niece just came home from the hospital a couple of days yeah, ago. And we got a family dinner. Nice. Uh, we're all excited to celebrate that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, now I feel very judged because I'm uh, preaching somewhere else this weekend, <laughs> and I'm bringing one of my kids. Um, there's like a, a system. <laughs> like I will bring I bring all yeah. of them. But you know, anyway, whatever. Um, in the end, uh, the question was, you know, an ordinary friend and a special friend. Um, yes, I think you're both just very special to me, uh-huh. and I appreciate the time. Yeah. This is great. Thank Thanks you. for having us, man, Stormy. It's
1: you. good seeing you, dude. I miss getting to hang with you we, like we did before. You too, Jay.
0: Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the
2: podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.